So uh, as Dave said, uh, we are carrying on our series of God's name. Uh, this is week seven, if, uh, if, if I've done it correctly, and if I've done it rightly, out of about nine weeks, there's this one and then two other more to go. Um, last week, we took a break uh, to look at some vision stuff and to where we're heading, but this week, I'm going to be carrying on uh, with this series. And this series is all around Exodus 34, Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7. And just to give you a quick recap, this is it's getting quicker every week, as you can probably tell. But um, Exodus is an amazing book. Exodus chapter 1 to 18 is all about Moses. Uh, God called Moses to lead the people. And they reckon about 2 million people he led. Remarkable, really. Um, across uh, out, sorry, out of Egypt towards the promised land. It will be out of a place of slavery, of bondage, of suffering, to a place where they would experience freedom and liberty, and they'll be set free. And uh, so Moses was called. He would be the man that would be there when all the, the plagues come in. He would be the man that is there leading them through the Red Sea. And that is basically Exodus 1 to 18. And then we get to Exodus 19. And Moses and the people are at the bottom of Mount Sinai. And God says this to Moses, uh, which is to the people of Israel. If you obey my terms, if you obey my terms of the covenant, that will shape your laws and teachings, and then you will become a kingdom of priests. God is saying to Moses and the people of Israel, if you obey the Ten Commandments, which he's about to give them, you will be people, you will be the people of God, and that other nations will look to you to know who I am. And so Moses goes and tells the people this, and they're like, yes, we are in for this. We want this. And then God says, I want you to build a tabernacle. This is Exodus 25 to 31. God gives them the exact blueprint of what this tabernacle is meant to look like. And it would be a place where God dwells, where the people could meet with their God. If you don't forget, today we are so blessed and fortunate to have the Holy Spirit living inside us and with us as Christians, as followers of Jesus. But it was different in those days. Genesis, uh, when sin entered the world, the presence of the God was, was never going to be the same. But God wanted to still meet with his people. So he says, build this tabernacle, and it will be a place where I could meet with my people. But as, as, as Moses gets in his, that blueprint, the people of Israel start to grumble, start to say, it's taking too long up the mountain, it's taking too long to get the tabernacle. And they say to Moses' brother, could you build us an idol, a golden calf? So they build a golden calf, and they start worshipping this idol. Instead of waiting for the tabernacle so they could worship, in that place to worship. And as you can understand, God is like, what's going on, people? Because one of the Ten Commandments that they should be kept in was do not worship uh, idols. But God, in his gracious and merciful manner, he gives them another chance, which he does for us so often in our lives. And then we get to Exodus 34, and God meets with Moses. He's up the mountain again, and God is designed to meet with him. Uh, God is designed to meet with Moses, but Moses is wanting to meet with his God. 
Moses has met God through uh, many different ways, through a burning bush. He's heard the audible voice of God before. He's seen him do many miracles. But this time is so different and so significant. And he says this, which we've been going through over the last few weeks. The Lord, Lord, the merciful and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. This is God revealing himself. It's revealing his name. This is his character. And they've never known to this point uh, the character of God. They've known God as a, a powerful being, a creator being when he created the heavens and the earth. They've known him to do many different things in powerful ways. Uh, but they've never known the character of God. Who is he? What is he like? And God reveals his own name. He reveals his own traits of who he is, how he responds to things, what he's like between him and his people. But this morning we are on week seven, and I'm going to speak to us upon the next bit. And this is about worship. See, Moses had heard God proclaim his name. Moses, as I said, he's heard God say, I am the Lord, Lord, the Yahweh. I am who I am. He's heard him say that he's merciful and gracious God. You know, remember, mercy means that he feels for us. He's compassionate towards us. He loves us. The grace of God, he comes and rescues us in our time of need. Uh, he rescues us from our sin, but also he rescues us in our everyday life. His mercy and his grace. He's slow to anger. He has a hesed love for us. He has this covenant love, a loyal love for his people. He's a God of justice. He hates sin in our lives. He sees the pain and destruction of sin in our lives, and he hates it. But his justice and mercy uh, meets together. Mercy overcomes justice. But then this passage moves on. See, the first part is all about who God is. It's about what God is, in many ways, feeling about us, or what he does for us, or what is consistent in his love. But the next bit is how we respond. How is Moses going to respond when he hears the audible voice of God? What does he do? And this is what he does in Exodus 34, verse 8. Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and worshipped. Moses, is, he's been there in the burning bush. He's seen miracle after miracle. And now he's seen God declare his own character. And the only way he could respond would be to bow his head to the earth and worship God. I wonder, how would you respond? Say you went up a mountain. Uh, say, for example, Mount Sinai. And God reveals himself to you. How would you respond? Around 20 years before this incident, Moses has been leading the people out of Egypt. He led them uh, from all their suffering and their bondage. He led them to a place, well, he's leading them towards a place of freedom and liberty. But this was the thing, right? 
He wasn't just leading them to a place where they could experience freedom and liberty, but it should be a place where they could experience his presence. It should be a place where they could be in full surrender to God. God wanted it to be a place where they could truly worship him. See, the Israelites, I think, were so focused on that this place was going to take us from the pain we're facing from Egypt. But actually, God was more focused on, oh, I want these people to be my people. I want these people to be in a place where they can truly worship the one true God himself. And the Israelites had forgotten this. They'd forgotten that it was about moving to a place they can worship their God. It wasn't primarily about taking them into a place of liberty and freedom and and peace and without suffering. And they were grumbling. They, They started building idols. They wanted everything to be perfect in this land where God was like, no, no, this land is about being a place where you come and worship me. See, I wonder if that is similar to our lives sometimes. That we're looking to God to take us out of our Egypt, our place of maybe where we're suffering, what we're finding hard, our bondage. And we're looking to take us, him to take us to a place where we're experiencing that freedom and liberty. And God wants to do that, but he wants to do that so that we can worship him even more. And I think the Israelites forgot that. They forgot it wasn't just about being in a peaceful place on this earth, but it was about a place they could take so they can worship their God. Psalm 66 verse 4 says this, All the earth worships you and sing praises to you. They sing praises to your name. This morning, we are coming together with the whole earth to sing praises to God. The whole earth, not just people, but creation. Everything God has made reveals a God. The mountains reveal the creator God, and they worship him in many ways. See, Moses stopped his life to worship God. He heard from God, he heard his character, and then he stopped his life to worship this God he found out about. See, Moses, he could have done many things. He could have heard God's character and name, and he could have run back down to the people and said, guess what I've heard? I've heard that God is merciful and gracious. I've heard that he's got a steadfast love, and he maintains love to thousands. He could have done that first. Or he could have done, he could have said, well, actually, I've got to get on with building the tabernacle. There's a building to be built. The people already grumbling and started building idols. But what he doesn't do, he doesn't do those. Those are not his response, the first response. It's not to go and tell other people. And it's not to go and get on with a project, you know, or get on with something practical. No, his response is, I'm going to bow down and worship after what I've found out. There's a physical response to what God has done in his life. See, the question this morning is this. The question is not do you worship, it's who do you worship. It's not do you worship, it's who do you worship. See, have you ever met a secret celebrity? Have you ever met a secret celebrity? Have you ever met a part-time police officer? 
slash part-time burger. Yeah. Have you ever met a vegetarian butcher? Yeah. Of course, except for Bob. See, we worship what is in our hearts. For the worship is an outward expression of our hearts. See, a celebrity never lives a life in secret. Because that's not the point of being a celebrity. That's not, if they want to be a celebrity, they're going to be out there on social media, on Instagram, Facebook, because they want to live a life like it, it, as a celebrity. A part-time police officer can't enjoy a shopping spree at the next-door neighbor's house. Because he wouldn't be a part-time, he wouldn't be a police officer. A butcher enjoys good meat. And a vegetarian enjoys well, I don't know what they enjoy, really. <laughs> what do they enjoy? Not good meat. Well, they don't eat meat. But what I'm getting at is a butcher, a police officer, and a celebrity, they do what's in their hearts in many ways. And it's what you, what's in your heart is what you worship. Worship is an overflow of heart. What is in your heart? Because that will determine what you worship or who you worship. How do I know what's in my heart? Well, where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your free time? When you've got free time, what do you do it with? What do you use it with for? How do you spend your money? What do you think about last before you go to bed? What's your last thought on your mind before you go to bed? Because that's often things that are on your heart. So Moses, he had heard the character of God. And then he stops for a moment to bow down and worship this God. He worships and acknowledges there's a God. The center of worship is not about ourselves, it's about God. See, worship is responding not to an emotional feeling or not trying to manipulate some emotional feeling here. But true worship is responding to the revelation of God. And it's all about God. That is what true worship is. Moses has heard this revelation of how God is. And all he can do is just bow down to the floor on a mountainside and say, I will worship you. This isn't a thing he hasn't planned out. He hasn't thought what's the next step in this process. But he said, I'm not going to go down the mountain and tell everyone else yet. I'm not going to go and carry on building that tabernacle. No, I'm going to worship this God because I'm in awe of who this God is. Moses responds to this revelation about God. See, God, I believe, is calling us to live a life bowed down to worship him. Bow down to worship him. See, the problem with worship is sometimes in our societies, we don't see everything that we're worshiping. See, in the Bible, read the Bible, and I think worship can be quite obvious. You know, most, uh, the people of Israel are building some golden calves. Oh, they're worshiping golden calves. Some people put some stones out. They worship some stones, or, or they might worship Pharaoh or various gods, you know, you read throughout the whole Bible and worship is pretty much obvious. But then when it comes to us, I think 
we don't see the obvious of things that we worship in our lives other than God. Because I don't think any of us have built a golden calf last week or put some stones out or, or had Pharaoh or maybe something else. I don't think probably, I hope not anyway. You know, none of us have done that. But however, I wonder if worship is happen, happening in the stadiums or happening in the music concert hall or on social media or on a television box. That is where our worship, it's not so obvious. We don't, we don't like to say it these days. But often our worship isn't of a God, it's of something that we are doing like on the football terraces. Or we go to a music concert and we're shouting and screaming for Justin Bieber. I'm not one of those guys, by the way. But, or on social media. If you are not worshipping God, are you worshipping the devil? I'm just going to put it out there for you to think about. If you don't worship God, do you worship the devil? I don't know. If you're not worshipping God, does that therefore, whatever else we do, what we worship, we do we worship the devil? So if I start worshipping like a celebrity, if I'm going mad for that celebrity, I'm crazy for that celebrity, am I ever then therefore equaling, does it equal that I worship the devil? Just put it out there for you to think about. Hebrews 12.2, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. That is your true and proper worship, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This is what Paul says is worship, holy and pleasing to God. Your body, your words, your thoughts. Your, your actions, your sight, your ears, your whole body as a worship and sacrifice. What we say can be of a worship to God. What we think, our minds, can be of worship to God. What we do can be of worship to God. What we look at can be of worship to God. What we hear can be of worship to God. Our whole bodies, not just our voices, should be a worship to God. And this is the real challenge in our lives. This is the real challenge. How do we have our whole bodies are to be a living sacrifice? On Friday evening, we went up, me and Becky, we went up to watch the football and watch England play five, to win 5-0 against a rubbish team. They were awful, absolutely awful if you were there. Uh, so we went up to Wembley, and we watched the football, which was fantastic. I love doing stuff like that, and I wish I could do it more. But we went there, and we stayed overnight in this hotel room. And we took Joel with us, and uh, on Saturday morning, yesterday morning, there was, in the hotel room, Joel was mesmerized by this massive mirror. In this hotel room, there's like a mirror off the floor, probably about 10 foot. It's like another 4 foot bigger than me. And he just went to this mirror and would stare at it. He's there for, you know, a good 30, 40 minutes just staring at this mirror. And it got me thinking because I wonder how many of us look at the mirror for that long, 30 to 40 minutes. 
I'm not just talking when you're putting your makeup on or, you know, I looked at the mirror this morning to put my hair gel in. You know, you probably can't tell I've got hair gel in, but I have. You know, I don't look at, I don't look at it even for 30, 40 minutes for that. But how many often do you do it for fun? Joel does, looks at the mirror for fun for 30 to 40 minutes. And what he does, he kisses it. He's kissing himself. He looks lovely. And then he's like banging it. He's making noises at it. But this is the thing. We don't like to look at ourselves in the mirror just for fun. Most of us don't anyway. But I wonder, have you ever looked at yourself in the mirror of your own soul? Your own being? See, we don't like to look at ourselves, our inner selves. We don't like to look at our own bodies in terms of our minds, our words, our ears, what, what, what our hearts are like. We don't like to look in the mirror of that. And we don't spend time looking at that. Not your physical self. Not what your hair looks like. Not what, you, what your dress looks like. But the thing is, it's what your heart looks like. What your soul looks like. What your mind looks like. Worship should change our lives. It should change our whole lives. When we look into the mirror of our lives, it should make us change. Let's just think about some stories from the Bible. The first story I want to look at is Paul and Silas. They're singing in prison. This is an amazing story. You know, they're in prison. They're in chains. This is no ordinary service. And you've probably got the best duet, Paul and Silas. They probably beat Robbie Williams and Gary Barlow or everyone else. These two men are beaten. They're bruised and they're on shackles. But they are worshipping their God. And you can just imagine like God is just in heaven tapping his foot and sends an earthquake or something like that happens in my mind. But as they are worshipping God, the earthquake comes. We all know the story. And the chains and they're set free. These two men are worshipping God, even though they're in prison. The next one, another story, Luke 7. And it's a woman with some perfume. And this woman, she was an outcast. She's been used and abused. But there was something about Jesus and his words that she takes this perfume uh, and it's, it's reckoned that it's about a year's wages. Can you imagine spending a whole year of your wages on one bottle of perfume and then wiping it on Jesus' feet and head? For her, that was her act of worship. The next one, Mark 12. And we have this, this lady who is a, is a widow. And she doesn't have much. And she, she's at a church service very much probably like this, but it would have been in a synagogue. And she's heard the things that have gone on. And then the, the offering goes round. It would, it would have probably been an offering basket at the, end, at the back in those days. And the, the offering basket's there. And she puts in two copper coins. Uh, most of the people in the room put more in than her. 
But then Jesus says she has given more than others. Because it's not about how much you give. It's about the heart. And she gave more because it was she, she had less, if you understand what I mean. For her, her worship was in that. Abraham, Genesis 22. Abraham and Sarah, they've been waiting so long for a child. And then they get to their old age. They're an old age pensioner. And they get this son called Isaac. And Isaac is the will to them. It's their everything. And then God says, sacrifice him. Give him up. And Abraham, in his obedience and his worship, he says, okay, God, I will take him to the altar and I'll sacrifice him. Even though for Abraham and Sarah, this is their whole will. They've been waiting so long for this promise to come true. So they, we, many of us know the story, but you know Abraham takes Isaac to the altar and God says, stop, because it's not about killing your son. It's about the worship, the heart behind it. Are you willing to surrender everything for me? Are you willing to sacrifice your most precious gift? For Abraham, his worship came upon an altar and given to his son. Lastly, one of the amazing sacrifices, Jesus. On the evening of his arrest, Jesus prayed for there to be another way rather than the cross. The Son of God saying, do I have to go to the cross? And then he says these words, not my will but yours. Not my will but yours. This statement is a complete and total surrender off the lips of Jesus. See, this is, this is amazing. Throughout Scripture, we get so many different stories of worship. You get Paul and Silas singing songs in prison. They're going through the most hardest time in their life. Their trial, literally in their trial. And they're singing songs, and they've got the best duet going on ever. And then you've got a woman who's an outcast, and she brings a perfume bottle, and she wipes the feet of Jesus, and she anoints his head with his perfume. And then you've got this widow gives two copper coins, so little, but really so much. And then you've got Abraham who's willing to sacrifice his son uh, on the altar. And then you've got Jesus. He's saying, I don't want to do this, Father God, but I'm saying not my will, but yours. And it's just, the, it's just in many ways, it, this all comes together and say, this is worship. Complete surrender. Singing songs, offering everything we've got. For the glory of God. The question is, does God cause you to surrender your life in worship? Does God call you to surrender your life in worship? John Calvin says this, to have no other, no other will, no other wisdom, to follow the Lord wherever he leads. To have no other will, no other wisdom, to follow the Lord wherever he leads. He's saying that I will surrender my whole life wherever it takes me and whatever the cost. That's what he's saying. I remember when I was growing up and even when I was about, you know, about 20 and stuff, I used to love uh, playing this small little game uh, and it's called calling the shotgun, shotgun game. Has anyone ever played this game? When you go to a car, someone else is driving. If you want to be in the front seat, the front passenger seat, you shout shotgun. Have you ever heard that before? 
Guys, come on, get down with the kids. Okay, cross off, doesn't work. Moving on. I'm going to say it anyway. But whenever, like, so say if you were going to get in a friend's car, if I was going to go into Dave Gordon's car and there was a load of us, you would shout shotgun. And whoever, whoever uh, shouts shotgun first could sit in the passenger, front passenger seat. And if Dave, the driver, was to shout reload, someone else could shout it. Anyway, I know how to have fun. Anyway, I never realized really why it was called shotgun for most of my life. I never realized why it was called shotgun until I watched the film Green Zone, which I absolutely love by Matt Damon. And in Green Zone, it's all about Matt Damon. He goes to Afghanistan, or yeah, it's Afghanistan, and he's in the green zone, the secure zone. But then he goes out uh, to find the nuclear weapons. And they would always say, who's going to ride shotgun? Because the shotgun would be there with a shotgun on the passenger seat to protect the driver. And that's why the passenger seat is called shotgun. Anyway, that's why. I, but I never knew this. Uh, <laughs> this is amazing. Uh, I never knew this for a long time. Uh, but the, st- the, re- the real reason of this story, guys, the real reason, there is a connection. Quickly moving on to a second, uh, moving on. Uh, the real reason for this story, are you allowing God to call shotgun on your life or to drive your life? Are you allowing God to call shotgun? So are you calling on God when life just suddenly comes rubbish? Oh, God, you're in the passage. I need you. Quickly drive my life now. I've got this, this thing come up, this thing at work, this, this thing in my family, this thing. Is God in the shotgun seat? Or is he driving your whole life? See, one of the greatest fears I think we all have is allowing God to drive our life. See, it's pretty handy to have Jesus in the, Jesus in the passenger seat when we require him. Lord, I have this problem, this situation going on. God, you can move up to driver now because I can't deal with this. But actually, God should be there steering our lives from the front seat, from the driver's seat. Come, Jesus. Get behind the wheel of my life. I want to surrender my whole life. See, if he's not driving your life, he's probably not in charge of your life. But if he he is driving your life, He is in charge of your life because he's showing you the way to go. I love it how we as people are diverse. I love the fact that for some of us, uh, we say if there was a party going on, some of us love to arrive early. We will be those people that are early, we're there 15 minutes beforehand, we'll organize people, or, and we get there on time. And then there's some people that will always arrive on time because they don't want to be seen that they're too keen to arrive early and they don't want to be seen as late because they're too disorganized. They are there to the exact second arriving on time to the party. And then you get the latecomers. So the latecomers, they just feel, you know, I just don't want to be the first one there. If I'm the first one there, I find it awkward. So I won't be the, I will be late. Or they're just disorganized and they're late people. But we're all so different and so diverse. And we all arrive. Some of us arrive early, some of us arrive on time, and some of us arrive late. 
And I want to say this. Whatever time you arrive to the party, the important bit is you're at the party. That's the important bit. In many ways, it doesn't matter if you arrive late or whatever. But the important bit, you arrive to the party and you get there and have some fun and have some food. And I think sometimes that's like with God. You might not be putting God first in your life. You might not be driving your life. You might not have completely laid your whole life down to surrender to your life. You might feel like you're a bit late to the party. But the important bit is that you do it and you arrive. Who is driving your life? The word for us today is to surrender our lives to God. When's the last time you looked into the mirror? You looked into that mirror and said, what do I need to surrender for worship? What do I need to surrender for worship? We looked at those five stories. It could be that you need to be singing in your time of trial. It could be that actually you might need to give something. Like that lady who gave her perfume over Jesus' feet. Could be the lady who, who gave those two copper coins. Could be that actually you need to sacrifice your whole life in some way. Like Abraham sacrificed Isaac. Don't get me wrong. Don't sacrifice anyone. Don't hear me wrong there. Or it could be that actually you need to say like Jesus said. Not my will, but yours. See, worship is about surrendering to God. Moses, he's heard the names of God, and all he can do is bow down in surrender and worship the living God. Moses devoted his whole life to God. And we're, none of us are called to be a Moses. You're only called to be you. But the only person that can judge it's God and you in terms of if you're surrendering your whole life. It's no one else's thing. And in many ways, it's no one else's responsibility. It's your responsibility to look into the mirror of your life and to say, do I worship God with the whole of my lives? And I think that's what God is calling us to do. He doesn't call us to say, well, God... You can sit in that passenger seat. You can call shotgun, by the way, guys, shotgun. You can call shotgun in that passenger seat. But God is saying, no, no, I want, my, I want your whole life to surrender to me. You're in the passenger seat, Tim. I'm in the driver's seat. Let me drive your life. And if that means, you know, going to this place, giving up this thing in your life, Go and give him this much money. Or if it means to be singing songs wholeheartedly whilst you're in prison, that is the life I've called you to live. Because whatever life, I've, you should worship me. This is the question today. This is the question today. Actually, I want to say this. St. Augustine of Hippo said this. Come, Lord, stir us up and call us back. Kindle and seize us. Be our fire and our sweetness. Let us love, let us run. Come, Lord, stir us, call us back. Kindle us, seize us. Be our fire, our sweetness. Let us love, let, let us run. What is God calling you to surrender in worship? What is God? What do, what, what do we, should we say to God? Rekindle us, stir us up. 
that we live a life of worship, our whole lives. We give it all to you. We're going to sing our last song in a moment. But I just want us to take a pause because Dave said this morning that you know God speaks in the silence. Think about what is God calling you to surrender in your life for worship. Father God, I pray that through the work of your Holy Spirit, that you'll help us to surrender our whole lives up to worship. You'll help us to give us our whole bodies, our minds, our words, our thoughts, our ears, and every part of us, Lord God. Lord God, help us to be people that surrender because you deserve all the praise. You deserve all the glory in our lives. Lord, help us to be like Moses, that when we receive revelation, that our response is to bow down and worship you, to glorify you. Help us to live lives of worship. Yes, here right now, but also tomorrow morning, whatever our Monday morning thing is. Help that to be our worship as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.